This is a bonus water cooler podcast from the Menzies Research Centre. I'm Nick Cater. In this column in The Australian, I question the motives of those who say we can eradicate coronavirus. Australians have decided that rolling up a sleeve is a small price to pay for freedom. The speed of vaccine delivery has accelerated in the last eight weeks, from 84 jabs per minute at the start of July to 180 per minute last week. The eagerness to be vaccinated coincides with a shift in public sentiment from fear to hope, which began when the states and Commonwealth agreed on a national exit plan on August the 6th. Scott Morrison and Josh Frydenberg were amongst the first to respond to the changing mood, stating plainly what the health experts had known for months. The pursuit of zero Covid is the mission of a fall. Australia would have to learn to live with coronavirus, a conclusion that has been reached in every other country in the world, with the notable exception of China and New Zealand. Good luck to them. As Morrison put it bluntly last week, we can't stay in the cave forever. Two surveys six weeks apart show how accurately the Prime Minister and Treasurer have read the public mood. In the second week of July, fewer than one in five Australians agreed that we must learn to live with the virus. Last week, three out of four Australians had come around to that view. Last week's survey by Compass Polling, commissioned by the Menzies Research Centre, found that four out of five Australians support a national plan agreeing that state and federal governments should cooperate to manage borders and lockdowns rather than going it alone. One by one, state premiers have felt the change in the wind. Gladys Berejiklian was an early convert after eight weeks of learning the hard way that the Delta variant is all but impossible to beat. Daniel Andrews, who stays closely in touch with public sentiment by spending more on polling than any other premier, came on board last Monday. Other state governments are crab-walking their way back to reality. SA's Stephen Marshall has softened his tone, saying that targeted lockdowns will only be a very last resort when vaccine targets are met. Not every Premier's ear is as close to the ground, however. Last week, the Labour Premier's in Queensland and WA retreated further into their grottos, refusing to relinquish the right to unilaterally close their borders, even when four out of five Australians have been double-jabbed. The extent to which this preposterous, vain and destructive sub-nationalism is driven by genuine concern about the virus is an open question. Hindering Morrison's ability to campaign in Queensland and WA by retaining the power to close borders until the next election would serve the Premiers and their party well. The adoption of the Sino-Kiwi Zero Covid plan by Mark McGowan and Anastasia Palaszczuk is of course absurd. As in other countries, Australian governments will have to take calculated risks if we want to end this nightmare. In Denmark, where 80% of residents over 12 have been vaccinated, Covid-19 is about to be delisted as a socially critical disease. Arguably, it's already socially uncritical in Australia where the risk of death or serious illness is many times smaller than it was in the early months of the pandemic. The risk of hospitalisations and deaths is reduced incrementally 11,000 times an hour, as vaccine is injected in tiny doses into mostly willing arms. By now, almost every nursing home resident has had two shots. Four out of five Australians aged over 70 have had one shot, and three out of five have been vaccinated twice. Yet the media's preference for bad news over good is difficult to break. 
Sometime this week, we'll be reading headlines about the grim milestone that will have been reached when the death toll from coronavirus enters four figures. Few will remember the last grim milestone, 10 months ago, 900 deaths from the first 27,000 cases, which reflected the force of COVID-19's rampage through Victorian nursing homes. The relatively small number of fatalities from the 20,000 or so cases since then has deeply disappointed the lockdown happy brigade, who prefer to talk about infections. Fatalities rarely make the lead paragraph, except the occasional death of someone under 50, when extraordinary lengths are taken to hide any pre-existing comorbidities under the shroud of patient confidentiality. One suspects that some premiers are enjoying their 18-month holiday from democracy and are reluctant to surrender the licence to boss us around. This should not surprise us, since ordering society from the top is in the left's DNA. The progressive movement has been pursuing visions of utopia since the late 19th century, longing for a land where people live spineless and effortless under the benign protection of the state. Growth in higher education has expanded the cohort of people who think they are smarter than the rest and therefore have the right to issue orders. They are members of the laptop class, whose jobs can be performed remotely, tend to live in the more comfortable suburbs, have their children late in life, if at all, and parade their moral certainties on Twitter. Liberals have a battle on their hands. It's becoming increasingly unfashionable to attach oneself to a philosophy that puts human independence ahead of state control. The nanny state, liberals have been pushing back for years, is now upon us, and it will take some effort to dismantle it when the pandemic finally ends. Nevertheless, McGowan and Palaszczuk should think carefully before welching on the deal they agreed in National Cabinet. Australians don't take kindly to broken promises, and after almost 18 months of lockdowns, they've clearly had enough. They should think carefully too before casting stones at New South Wales, or the Prime Minister for saying, this is not a race. The rate of vaccination in WA last week was 34% slower per capita than in New South Wales. In Queensland, it was 44% slower, putting New South Wales on track to reach the 80% target weeks, if not months, in front. The change in national mood is clear. Let's get the jab done and get on with our lives. In the words of Thomas Jefferson, the strongest reason for people to bear arms is to protect themselves from the tyranny of the state. With a minor spelling adjustment, B-A-R-E instead of B-E-A-R, Jefferson's dictum perfectly describes the new public mood.